Hello and welcome to Fintech Bytes, a podcast series from CMS, in which we will discuss and provide insight into some of the latest technology and regulatory developments, market trends and issues affecting fintech and innovation in financial services. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the CMS Fintech Bytes podcast. I'm Dan Gallagher. I'm a lawyer in the technology team at CMS in London and a member of the fintech practice group. On this episode, I'm joined by Will Holder, also from CMS, and Harry Keane from Hazy. Will and Harry, do you want to introduce yourselves to our listeners? Sure. Thanks, Dan. Um, So I'm a lawyer as well at CMS, as Dan mentioned, um, and I'm in the corporate team um, and have worked with Harry and Hazy in particular on recent fundraising. So um, it's it's great to be uh, joined by Harry today. And, and for me, I think um, as a corporate lawyer, learning about synthetic data. Um, Harry, over to you. Thanks, guys. Yeah, no, pleasure to be on the podcast today. Thank you for having me. I'm Harry Keane. I'm the CEO and co-founder of Hazy. We founded the business about six years ago now, uh, actually. So um, have, uh, have have been beavering away in the background on that for a long time. But uh, yeah, we very much focus on this challenge around data sharing in businesses, particularly in the, the world of um, the GDPR. And we, we focus on solving that with our synthetic data platform. I'm very happy to dive much more into that uh, as we go through the podcast. But uh, also to say we've had a great relationship with uh, CMS through the last few years as well, part of the Equip program. Um, and indeed, CMS have been supporting us through a, a number of... Uh, yeah, a number of our fundraising activities and commercial activities as well. So a uh, pleasure to be here today. Great. Thanks, Harry. Um, so as, as you may have gauged, um, today we will be focusing on all things related to synthetic data, uh, which is obviously hazy specialism. Um, in particular, we are going to be having a look at what benefits it can bring, um, how it is created, how hazy has been using synthetic data, and we also discussed some of the challenges with using synthetic data. So, Harry, do you want to just kick things off a bit by giving us an overview of synthetic data and in particular how it sort of differs to sort of other types of data? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's worth starting at at least a high level the the problem with the problem that synthetic data solves. And that's that problem is as we define it, data agility in in regulated industries and businesses. So the challenge these big businesses face is that they have tons of really sensitive and valuable data, but it's trapped behind layers of control from privacy, compliance, regulation, and and fundamentally governance processes that are put in place to make sure that deep data isn't um, leaked or either maliciously or or by accident. And all of those processes have to be in place for all of those good reasons, but they go against the, the spirit of being able to innovate with those data sets, um, get the value out of them, either with internal teams or possibly even with third party teams as well. And it makes that process very, very difficult. So um, what synthetic data can do is alleviate all of those challenges and allow businesses to provision data much more quickly across their own business or even externally as well. And it does that by using a little bit of generative AI um, so what uh, happens within the Hazy platform is that our customers plug in their raw data sets. Uh, that then trains a generative 
model to pick up all of the underlying statistical characteristics of that data set and capture it in a in a trained model. And you can move that trained model to a new location in the business and effectively sample it to create a totally fictitious data point that doesn't exist in real life, but will be sort of hyper realistic. And you can keep on doing that until you have a full synthetic data set that looks and feels like the real data uh, preserves uh, it preserves the, the statistical characteristics, but critically does not contain any of the real information. So you're sort of generating this lookalike data set from scratch. And that means um, all those three things together mean that you can use it as a drop-in replacement for your real data. So that's synthetic data. And that differs quite significantly from pseudonymous data, where you take a real data point and you swap the values uh, or some of the values in, uh, in that data record for other identifiers that ultimately have a some sort of key that allows you to reverse that uh, that sort of encryption, if you like. Um, that has its uses, uh, but it isn't necessarily human readable. Um, and it is reversible, as I say, because you're doing a translation from um, a sort of a real data point into this sort of encrypted or partially encrypted um, sort of pseudonymous data points. And it's a similar process process with anonymization. Um, so you again take a, a raw data record. It might be Harry Keane. Um, I'll have a certain age and certain address associated with that. And it might sort of generalize the age into an age bracket and it might sort of shorten the address to just the postcode and effectively you know might and ultimately might maybe delete the name or, or maybe the first name or something and you end up with um with a, a sort of more generalized or perturbed version of your real data record which is it is fundamentally still related is you're sort of doing a translation between a real data point and anonymous anonymous data points um but it it is less easy to identify i think that the kind of just the core part of that, though, is though with the last two techniques I mentioned, you do there is a sort of at least theoretically a link between the anonymous or pseudonymous uh, record with the real data record, and with synthetic data, you as long as you incorporate things like differential privacy into the into the process of generating synthetic data, you 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 sever that connection, and that's where you get uh, much greater privacy guarantees uh, with with synthetic data. And I suppose um, just uh, thinking a bit more about the the, the difference between synthetic uh, data, pseudonymized data, and anonymized data. Pseudonymized data, of course, still comes with the the data protection wrapper around it because it can be reconstituted. And you know, mm -hmm. if if the if the person receiving the data set has a means of re-identifying the individuals. Um, whose data is in that data set, you, know, you still have all of those obligations that you have you know, under data protection laws to protect the data. So I suppose um, synthetic data uh, is distinguished in that way. And from a sort of practical use point of view, I think from what you're saying, um, one of the other key benefits with uh, synthetic data is its its practical use and it's it, it still has those qualities that you then allow you to go and do all of the things that you want to do with or you go on to do with synthetic data yeah yeah exactly i think yeah two things there one you're absolutely right the sort of legal definition under the, the gdpr of pseudonymous data is is effectively it is somehow reversible so that could be with a token or indeed it could be 
actually with some of the anonymization techniques I mentioned earlier, like the sort of generalizing um, techniques, it may still technically be reversible, particularly if you've got some ancillary data set which provides you some sort of overlapping information which then allows you to unpick the, uh, the anonymization technique. That would still count as effectively pseudonymous information under the GDPR, which is interesting because exactly as you say, synthetic data doesn't fall foul to that. It physically cannot be reversed. Um, and you're absolutely right. It's it's all with all of these techniques, all of these privacy enhancing techniques. You're always balancing this kind of trade-off between utility and privacy. So yeah. utility utility being how statistically representative the real and sort of anonymous or synthetic data set is uh, versus the real data and the privacy of how much you've sort of got rid of the reversibility aspect. And synthetic data is the most optimal way to make that uh, make that trade-off while keeping the data. Uh, useful, exactly to say, for analytics or data science or testing or whatever you want to do with it. So, Harry, thanks for um, explaining sort of differences between you know, synthetic data and pseudonymous data. Um, just to touch on that and to build on what we've just been discussing, it'd be great to sort of hear, you know, what other benefits um, synthetic data can bring compared to the other types of data. Yeah, definitely. So, the key differentiator, as we've sort of discussed, is that is that privacy component and what that ultimately means for businesses that are using synthetic data is that they uh, don't ultimately have to worry about any personal information being in, the, in that data asset. So what is retained in that data asset though is the sort of statistical characteristics which might still be sensitive and um, business information and, and sort of IP. So they don't want to leak that data um, necessarily but they are allowed and they, they are able to circumvent a lot of the kind of governance controls they will have in place uh, to, you know, to protect data that contains PII. They don't, it doesn't have to apply to, to the synthetic data sets. Um, now, what that means practically is particularly in instances where big businesses have large production systems that are tightly locked down, but also lots of reasons why they want to access that production data. So let's think about a banking transaction data sets being um, constantly added to, you know, second by second. And there's lots of interesting reasons why data analysts or data scientists want to access it to maybe analyze how the business is doing, which type of users are buying, which type of products and how they might market and, um, you know, sell their products more efficiently. There's, there's lots of value in there. So copying that data out of production into these non-production environments uh, where it is more accessible is a great uh, bridge that synthetic data can sort of manage um, as that meets all of the um, all of the, the, the sort of regulatory requirements for for making data sets uh, data sets private um, and that's the that's the general use and that can be as I say that can spread a whole, across a whole lot of detailed use cases where you, what you do with that um, that that synthetic data in that non-production um, environment. Uh, I mean, there's some other benefits as well. It could, might not be just a sort of production, non-production environment. It might be externally to your business. So you might want to be collaborating with third parties, either other software vendors or perhaps universities or research institutions. We've had some banks that are, are interested in using synthetic data for that. It could be a geographical silo. So there's even more complexity with transferring data between geographies, even just in Europe. Um, yeah. So actually being able to, if you're an international business, being able to transfer data across boundaries, at, at least in synthetic form, is is really is really helpful as well. Um, so there's lots of silos that sort of can be crossed using using synthetic data. So that was that's how I summarised the key key benefit of the technology. 
Well, I suppose from a um, from a data kind of quality point of view, I guess, and, and thinking about technical infrastructure, and you talked about, you know, banks, for example, where they may have legacy systems, as a lot of organisations do, with data that may be difficult to access, and there may be, I suppose, um, issues of inconsistent formats between data and mm. those sorts of quality issues that is that a use case that you see that people want want to it's a it's a way of synthetic data is a way of overcoming some of those data quality issues where maybe there have been poor data management practices in place or you know that's a bit of a challenge because of the systems that people are dealing with and the way that data has been collected um, so in a sense, synthetic data not, isn't necessarily a, a, a way to sort of clean and tidy up mm. data, but what it might be is a way to sort of get sort of synthetic versions of those complicated systems um, yeah. so you can quickly um, deploy and test other solutions to sort of consolidate that information, tidy it up, maybe try a new um, data lake provider. Uh, without committing any of the real information into those into those tests and 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 effectively running a, a sort of safer and secure process. So it's not a silver bullet in sort of cleaning up your legacy infrastructure that you're you're absolutely going to have to still do the legwork with that. But it may well help you in that type of process in 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 the organisation. Uh, absolutely. I thought I think it's interesting that you raised the um the the data transfer issue which again is a is a sort of privacy issue um although there are other sort of data localization rules around the world which may mean that people can't easily you know transfer data from one jurisdiction to another but that is an area from a from a data protection compliance point of view in the UK in the EU in particular transfers from the EU to the United States that has come under a lot of pressure recently and there have been you know quite recently some some um, um, high profile kind of decisions made by regulators around the adequacy of the measures that people have in place for those transfers. And I suppose if you are you know, working with a data set that you have generated in a privacy compliant way and exists in a form that no longer you know, is is subject to all of those those data transfer rules, you sidestep some of those difficulties that that maybe um, organizations have faced around what now is quite a complex regime I think for transferring personal data internationally. Yeah definitely definitely I think there's yeah there's a, it's a great use case for us and uh, there, mm. are, there are organizations that do sit internationally uh, across lots of um, geographical sort of boundaries and, and having a sort of centralized repository of at least synthetic data can really help speed up decision making speed up analysis processes, centralized teams of analysts in one location. It's worth saying actually that synthetic data doesn't necessarily solve the ethical implications of the type of data transfer you're doing or the type of data analysis you're doing as well. You can still very much use synthetic data for, for bad purposes. Um, so it doesn't solve that problem, but yeah. it does solve the uh, the sort of the, the risk of, of losing the personal information problem. Yeah. Should we move on? Um, I know you touched on this, Harry, but I'm interested to, and I'm, I'm sure some of our listeners will, to understand a bit more about the process that you go through in terms of generating synthetic data um, and the use of generative AI. Do you think you could just touch on that a little bit more? And, and I had some thoughts um, based on some of the things you've said already. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, happy to happy to go through it. So it's, uh, it's a pretty straightforward process. Um, 
development. So the the way it works is you, as a customer, you install Hazy within your network. So that might be an on-prem environment or it might be a cloud environment. It depends really where their, their data is. So really we take the software to the data uh, for our customers. So they never have to send us data. That sort of defeats the point of often creating synthetic data in the first place, but, and, and indeed is often the problem we're there to solve. Um, so once they've got the software, they effectively plug in and connect their data set. That could be um, a database format. It could be um, a CSV, something simpler, but it's always sort of tabular data uh, in a structured information format. They then configure the, the, the training step, which means you sort of have to uh, map all of the different data types to to the hazy um, data types, and that's a lot of automation around that. And it's it's it's, it's a very slick process nowadays for for our customers, all through a nice UI. And then effectively they press train, and what that will do is run this this generative algorithm against the the source data set to pick up all of the the trends, the patterns, the correlations between columns, the distributions of values down columns, and how it all interrelates. So fun, the fundamental statistical characteristics that trained model sort of is the safe kind of representation of all of that of all of that information that's the piece that can be moved around the organization very quickly and easily perhaps into into a new non-production environment or a different geography and it's is there that it can be sort of sampled so you, you ask it to generate me a new data record and it will literally generate you a row of data that will look realistic that, that sort of conforms to all of the statistical characteristics the, the model has captured. Um, and as I say, you keep on generating those data records until you end up with this fully synthetic data set that's, uh, yeah, that preserves all the information but doesn't contain any um, any of the raw, uh, raw personal identifiers. And that's the that's the piece that uh, that you can then do your do your work on. And I suppose just thinking about that process then, um, and and I and I sort of, I suppose this is front of mind because recently there's been a lot of coverage of the adoption of generative AI tools and some of the privacy concerns around the training of those tools. And I, and I guess one of the things when you're, when, when a customer is, you know, using that database that they've got of personal data to train the, the, the tool to produce a synthetic data, I suppose there are some data protection compliance points that the customer will have to go through to make sure that they've the data set that they're using to generate the synthetic data um, it, it, that they've got the necessary rights to do that in compliance with data protection law and and all those good things and then I and, and I suppose the other thought I had about your process is that you know after you've then trained the tool and it's starting to generate the synthetic data there's there's probably a governance piece that goes on around that data that comes out and making sure that you know that it, that it isn't for whatever reason because of the, the maybe the, the volume of the data that's gone through that it is not um kind of replicating actual personal data is that is that something that you work you those are presumably issues that you work through with your clients when thinking about synthetic data yeah definitely once you have the synthetic data set itself um, it is very important to run this whole battery of metrics against it uh, to compare against the real data. So yeah, A, make sure the differential privacy mechanism you, you've introduced, and that's quite a detailed privacy uh, kind of mathematical guarantee that, uh, around privacy, um, but to make sure that that's, um, that's been upheld and you're not re accidentally recreating real data points, 
Um, and there's a whole set of checks you can do on that. There's, a, there's some simple, obvious comparisons versus some statistical checks you can do. But then last year as well, you also want to check that the synthetic data actually represents the real data as well. So do the, the sort of distributions match up? And we have a whole set of visualizations in our product which allow you to quite quickly compare the two data sets on, on, those, on those axes. Thanks, Harry, for talking us through some of the benefits of using synthetic data as well as um, some of the challenges. Um, it'd be great if you could just share some examples of you know, how Hazy itself has been using synthetic data with some of its customers. Yeah, definitely. So I think that it's worth saying at a high level because synthetic data is often seen by customers as a sort of quite a horizontal layer between their sort of data lake or data stores and their end users. It should actually be applicable across a whole variety of different use cases. Um, so we like to think about five particular use cases, one being software testing and, uh, and development. So having software available in non-production environments to build, develop and test software. Um, analytics, so uh, data sets available for your analysts to do simpler sort of business intelligence and analysis work against. Um, more advanced data science and AI. Uh, so having data available to, yeah, to, to build classification algorithms against or perhaps new fraud detection tools, for example, to be specific. Um, fourth, uh, we have a, a kind of case where you may be trying to collaborate with a third party. So is, if, you, if you sort of set up a synthetic sandbox environment, they can get that process done in just a few days. So that really significantly changes their ability to collaborate and test, test vendors. And then lastly is an interesting use case around data monetization. So you might have a sensitive data asset that you absolutely cannot or do not want to monetize because of the personal information it contains. But if you make a synthetic version of it, that may allow you then to um, to license access to it and, uh, and and open up a new revenue stream as well. So there's a kind of a quite a broad reach of 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 use cases there um, that we that we focus on. And um, I, I thought it was interesting that you mentioned fintechs because I know that the, the this is something that the FCA has been um, looking at the use of synthetic data um, and and issued a, uh, a call for input on that last year. And for all those reasons that you've talked about, you know, training AI systems, for example, require requires vast volumes of data. Um, and 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 the FCA have kind of looked at uh, how they may be able to uh, facilitate the use of synthetic data to help the kind of innovation that that, that fintechs are doing and the use of of synthetic data um, for the various use cases that you've mentioned. Great. Well, thanks, Harry, for talking us through um, some of the use cases. Um, really, really interesting to know how you've been using synthetic data. Um, I guess one thing we'd like to really touch on a bit more is what are the sort of main challenges you see with using synthetic data? Um, and what sort of key development would Hazy like to see happening in this area over the next sort of 12 months? It's really interesting. I think um, there's a lot of the core technical challenges have been solved in this in this technology. So the algorithms the, uh, developed to an efficiency um, that mean that they can be productionized against sort of real use cases, the kind of the, the understanding of how private and how useful the synthetic data is and, and some of the benefits and drawbacks of different approaches. I think the next challenges for the sector are around really proving that the technology can scale. Uh, so 
can you apply this tech to hundreds and thousands of, of tables of information and maintain all of the kind of referential integrity between those those structured data sets um, as well as all the statistical information? Can you scale to sort of billions of records and terabytes of data? That's where I think we've got to try and go as a, as a sector from a core technical challenge, uh, really. I think there are some other sort of, I guess, less technical or sort of softer challenges that uh, that need to be addressed as well. Um, I think they're twofold. One are sort of external to, to businesses and AZ, and that's around regulation. I, I think it's time, and as as we've seen and 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 mentioned, the, there are regulators now really leaning into this technology and starting to provide some solid advice around it. So the FCA is doing doing that right now. The ICO has already produced some guidance around this technology. So there's uh, there are good noises, but it would be very helpful um, to to get that finalised because there are. Ultimately, in the case of the FCA, there are businesses already using this technology in anger that they regulate. So it's, it's high time they uh, they provided some solid advice around that. That would really help businesses. And, the, and then lastly, from the internally from the businesses perspective, I think seeing synthetic data as a strategic uh, option here for your data provisioning uh, process uh, is is the way to look at this rather than a sort of smaller piecemeal uh, technology that applies to individual use cases. Absolutely start small and, and grow. Uh, but it ultimately should be undertaken as an exercise where you are doing quite a big sweeping change uh, to your sort of data provisioning process. And then that needs to be resourced um, uh, respectively. So you need the buy-in from the C-level, uh, you need the champions that are going to take that uh, technology all the way through and, and can and have the sort of authority and remit to go and do so. So yeah, that's where I see the sort of main challenges remaining really uh, for, for, for synthetic data. Presumably, Harry, you are encouraged by the recent surge in interest from businesses and investors in the development and deployment of AI systems, in particular the current hype around large language models, because data, as I think we've mentioned already, is the lifeblood of these AI systems. Um, They require massive volumes of data to train them, and that increases then the need to have access too high quality data um, whilst you know at the same time being confident of its provenance um, and being sure that it will be used without issues relating to uh, confidentiality or commercial sensitivity privacy issues um, thinking about who may have underlying rights in the data and the data set uh, such as copyright for example Um, and I wonder if you're seeing already an increased interest in the use of synthetic data for this purpose um, because it seems to me it's one way of avoiding um, those issues or at least reducing some of the risks around the use of data sets. Yeah d- definitely I think the rise and continued sort of hype around AI is 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 well warranted I think there's a hugely powerful technology it comes in many shapes and guises and you're absolutely right it's it's powered by the underlying data i think you know ai has been you know it's particularly machine learning techniques have been around for a while and businesses are already taking advantage of them i think more recently with the advent of large language models there's been a bit of a scramble by businesses to really understand how these foundational models will be applied um, interestingly these foundational models don't necessarily need um, direct business data to to work sort of out the box. They can provide value without large training, and so so they sort of circumvent some of the challenges around internal data. 
However, we have had some of our customers come to us saying, look, we'd like to tune and refine um, the foundational model to our particular uh, kind of world and remit and business. And actually, we would like to feed it some synthetic information so we can we can get more kind of representative um, results for our chatbot or for whatever it is we're, we're building with with these large language models. So there are particular use cases there. And I, you're absolutely right, though. Behind all of that is the responsibility of, of all of these businesses to respect copyright laws, to respect privacy laws, but also just to maintain their reputation and image. No one wants to be seen uh, to be falling foul and losing trust of their of their customers. Um, so, so doing these, doing all of these processes, whether it's kind of refining or sort of using your own data from scratch for machine learning, it's it, it is all going to have to be done. Um, sensibly, safely, and um, uh, and compliantly as well. So we think there's going to be a great future for synthetic data in this space. The other thought that occurred to me, Harry, was um, it, it's something that goes back to to what you said at the outset uh, of the podcast about data being trapped behind layers of control, um, often you know for good reasons. But um, currently, there's a lot being done by governments and um, legislators that are looking to open up data markets and encourage the sharing of data. And I'm thinking in particular uh, about the EU Data Governance Act and the EU Data Act, which together look to increase trust in data sharing and promote data markets and the use of data for innovation um, and for some of the use cases for synthetic data that you've mentioned. Um, And I was also interested to hear your comments about the desire for further guidance about the use of data because you know quite recently the UK government published its revised proposals for reforming uh, UK GDPR and those include changes that are intended to provide greater certainty and clarity for businesses about the use of personal data in compliance with UK data protection law so for example that includes some um, updates that were intended to address areas of GDPR that have been tricky for people to navigate. So, you know, they're they're looking to update definitions around personal data and and, and what's meant by pseudonymization um, and the meaning of legitimate interests. And then there's also reforms there that are intended to help businesses to innovate, um, in particular with next generation technologies like AI, for example. So. They're looking at reforms around the use of data for automated decision making and for um, commercial technological development. And so I wondered if, do you think there's anything else that you think the UK government could be doing in this respect? I think my response is the GDPR is is there, is the kind of the essence behind it is sort of correct. I agree some of the clarifications are all good, but the bottom line is a lot of pets exist. Privacy enhancing technology yeah. exists today. Synthetic data is one of them. There are solutions to these, the challenges around using pro, pro, you know, private data already that don't need just definitions changing and then legislation to sort of work around. There are, I mean, there are technical, technological solutions today to solve that. Yes. Um, so my, my advice would be to rather than focus on on sort of redefining and uh, sort of making the uh, the the rules sort of more flexible in a sense it would be actually to to lean into some of the the great work that 
the privacy ecosystem is is working on so not just synthetic data it actually use the um user technologies that are there already um yeah and that gets to the dual advantage of fostering a the UK potentially as a as a leader in this in this type of tech privacy privacy tech, but um, also enables businesses to get on and um, and do the analysis value generation that, uh, that they're keen to make happen as well. And the ICO has 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 done some well, is doing some work in this area, and I think is due to issue its updated guidance uh, draft guidance for anonymization pseudonymization and other privacy enhancing technologies which includes synthetic data as you say but rightly a number of other techniques that can be used so i'm sure people will welcome that guidance when it comes out um, for further consultation thank you everybody for listening we hope you enjoyed our discussion about synthetic data with harry Keane, ceo and co-founder of hazy if you want any further details on this topic or any of the points we've discussed in this podcast, then you can reach out to Harry or contact Will or I and our details will be linked below. We also frequently publish thought leadership in this area. Alternatively, you can visit our FinTech webpage and Twitter page, which are also linked below. Thanks for listening and we hope that you join us again soon for another episode of FinTech Bytes.